Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, it's sort of been a little bit of a quiet weekend. There wasn't a ton going on. Most folks kind of focused in on paying attention to their mothers, their their wife, their their actual mom, whatever else. And then late yesterday evening, there was a tweet that got a lot of attention. Now, when it comes to stuff like this, there are a couple of pretty well-defined silos that most of our audience sort of finds themselves in. There are some people who know all about this sort of right away. They sort of get all of this right away. There are other people that maybe are they're just busy right they got full-time jobs they got families they got this they got that and some of the stuff as it relates to recruiting can be a little too cryptic at times it can be a little too mysterious at times and there are a lot of people who you know are kind of interested in uga recruiting but they sometimes sort of wish that the information was a little bit more matter of fact and sort of more clearly stated so we're gonna try to do that here for the next couple of minutes we're gonna try to explain to you why georgia fans were in a little bit of a sort of a worked up frenzy late last night a lot of this generated by espn analyst former quarterback for the detroit lions college i guess was at uconn i believe dan orlovsky you may be aware of him you probably do know who he is he tweeted out something last night that got a lot of attention let me show you this on the screen the uh, dan orlovsky tweet here putting out that he was hearing that big things are happening in athens at Georgia football with the fire emoji. Now, leave that on the screen just for a second if you don't mind, because that in and of itself is not necessarily big news, right? I mean, Georgia has, as you may be aware, won the last two national championships. So typically speaking, there's always big news here around the uh, Georgia program. The Georgia is just one of those programs that just sort of lives in sort of a perpetual big news state here. So Orlovsky's statement at face value didn't necessarily mean a lot to a whole lot of folks but if you're watching on video and you see down there in the bottom left hand corner of the screen there's a little you know blurb thing there that says this tweet had been edited it was last edited at 8 53 p.m so if you go and look at the previous version of the tweet this was orlovsky's latest newest version of that but there was an original version of the tweet that actually provided a little bit more information let me show this to you uh this was the original version that maybe orlovsky sort of thought was <laughs> maybe he thought that was giving a little too much away so the original version of the tweet said hearing big things happening in athens at georgia football most talented player at the position since matthew stafford wow all of a sudden that gets more interesting now i saw some folks that sort of saw that tweet and i saw some folks that thought that was some sort of statement maybe about carson beck that dan orlovsky was like sort of planting his flag about how good he thought that carson beck was going to be this upcoming season i think most georgia fans or at least a good number of georgia fans realized that wasn't the case the story here to understand is that dan orlovsky is a former detroit lions quarterback and while he played for the detroit lions one of his teammates was dominic riola who just happens to be the father of the nation's number one recruit, the five-star quarterback, Dylan Riola. So while some folks were kind of thrown off by Orlovsky, who doesn't typically tweet about recruiting, what he was saying about Georgia football, I think a lot of folks sort of realized, no, in this case, this is Orlovsky kind of making a statement about the son of his former Detroit Lions teammate, Dylan Riola. Obviously, as I said before, Orlovsky played with Dominic. And lest there be any doubt that that's what was going on here lest there be any confusion about what is exactly was meant by the somewhat mysterious tweet from uh, dan orlovsky we eventually got a retweet that spoke volumes on this let me also show you this this coming from what i'm assuming must be i'm not familiar with her i'm assuming must be dylan riola's sister who upon seeing the, uh, the orlovsky tweet she provides a uh, quote tweet retweet with a string of bulldog or dog emojis going across so if there was any confusion whatsoever that the orlovsky tweet was meant to be about dylan riola taylor riola here uh, who seems to be an athlete in her own right very good volleyball player it appears uh the taylor riola tweet and by the way uh, i'm sure she's probably gonna get a lot more attention than she ever realized uh the taylor riola tweet here i think would seem to remove all doubt that what dan orlovsky the espn analyst is talking about here is something being up with five-star quarterback dylan riola which kind of leads us to a question here okay well what's up here i mean there are a lot of georgia fans who sort of think that uh 
eventually Dylan Ryle is going to com- commit to Georgia. We've been kind of on commit watch for Dylan Ryle one time before, and for whatever reason, that didn't quite materialize. So why is it now that this seems like a more relevant conversation or a relevant conversation once again after a couple of weeks of being quiet? At one point in time, there had been some chatter this might be going down. Well, for answer to that question, let me go back to Friday's show here for a moment because I started my interview with Jeff Sintel, our Dog Nation Recruiting Insider. He joins us each and every Friday on our program. And I was talking about the fact that it looks like that uh, Jeremiah Smith, the five-star wide receiver, current Ohio State commit, really one of the top players in the country in his own right there as well. If Ryle is the very best player in the country, Jeremiah Smith is honestly not too far down the list and all that. And so we were talking to Jeff, and I was talking about the fact that it looks like it's official. Jeremiah Smith's going to take an official visit, but we've seen Ohio State really win with receivers before. And, you know, it's a very typical conversation to one we often have with Jeff Sintel here. But in the midst of talking about Jeremiah Smith, Jeff also kind of revealed something to us about Dylan Riola. And if you kind of want to know why it is that the Riola topic is sort of resurfacing, why it's bubbling back up, Maybe Jeff's answer on Friday could be part of the reason why. Here is the answer that Jeff gave on Jeremiah Smith that also kind of pivots back in the direction of the guy who might throw the ball to Jeremiah Smith or Smith to come to Georgia, five-star quarterback, nation's number recruit, number one recruit, Dylan Riola. This is Jeff from Friday. I don't think George, the Georgia flip happens without the Dylan Riola uh, connection there. And really, if you want to – I know you love the reading between the tea, line, tea leaves section – what it tells, what it should tell the very smart dog nation reader is Jeremiah Smith's going to be in Athens next weekend for the scavenger hunt, and that's cool. But what it likely means is Riola will also be there with him as well, because I don't know if that's the most effective official visit for Georgia. If not, if there is the potential connection synergy there with a potential five-star quarterback commitment as well. That's like wide receivers and quarterbacks, they go hand in hand. Okay, let's understand what Jeff is saying here. So Dylan Riola is already slated to take his official visit to Georgia the first weekend in June. It's the only official visit that Riola has scheduled right now. But what Jeff is also telling us is prior to the official visit in June, where Georgia gets to pay his way to travel from Arizona to, to, to UGA for the official visit, he is also planning, as Jeff reports there, on taking an unofficial visit for the upcoming scavenger hunt, which I guess is what this upcoming weekend, I guess. Uh, he's also planning on taking an unofficial visit for the scavenger hunt because that's when five-star wide receiver Jeremiah Smith's going to be there. So get this. Just prior to taking an official visit, Ryola is also taking an unofficial visit. Well, in the old kind of idea of, you know, the old parlance of follow the visits here, what I told Jeff on Friday's show, I'm going to reiterate to all of you right now, you know, a lot of, there are a lot of folks who are sort of waiting, oh, when's Dylan Ryla going to announce? When's Dylan Ryla going to announce? When's he going to announce that he's committing to Georgia? Well, if Dylan Ryla is taking an unofficial visit, like the, basically a week prior to taking an official visit to Georgia so he can you know, communicate with wide receivers, I'm not even quite so sure that Dylan Ryla needs to announce. Yeah, I'm not even quite so sure there's really all that much to officially saying, yeah, I'm coming to Georgia when the obvious operations behind the scene, s- scene seem to be taking place with the assumption that Raiola is coming to UGA, so much so that this somewhat mysterious Dan Orlovsky tweet is actually not being t- treated as mysterious by the Raiola family. Dylan's sister, more than happy to retweet it, put the dog emojis on there, and things like that. The operation right now is that Dylan Raiola is coming to Georgia, not just to visit, but to stay. Uh, and I'm not really quite so sure that the actual commitment announcement in itself necessarily changes all that much about that. I think that to me has been one of the most fascinating things about this entire process throughout the duration of time it's been playing out is the Riola family has just not really, you know, felt all that much need to kind of keep this secret or play the game. And, you know, it doesn't seem to be a lot of hat show right now. There doesn't seem to be a lot of other suitors for Riola's services. This is what the point that I've told you, you know, many times in the past is that sometimes this kind of stuff can be figured out by process of elimination. USC long ago has seemingly waved the white flag on this recruitment. Another school we heard about for a while, Nebraska, they've also seemingly, even before that, waved the white flag on this recruitment. It sort of seems like all there really is left is Georgia, and the only question to be answered left is when will Raiola actually make this official? Well, based on the fact that he's apparently coming into Georgia here this upcoming weekend, and what his uh, good family friend Dan Orlovsky says, this may be happening sooner rather than later. So, if you're a Georgia fan, you're probably already leaned in, tuned in, and paying very close attention to do, to this. 
every indication I have, every suggestion, thing that can be made about all of this would certainly lead you to believe this is going to be a very fun summer for UGA fans. Now, let me also say one more kind of thing about this, which is from like 10,000 feet from outside the bubble of Dog Nation, this sort of seems like well, this is the way that things are supposed to play out. Georgia's obviously won the last two national championships. It ought to be able to just sort of throw open the open for business sign and attract and bring in whatever recruits it wants to be able to because of how attractive the program is, both the guys in-state and some of these national recruits there as well. But Kirby Smart pointed out something uh, a few days ago when he was on WJOX. That's the sports radio station in Birmingham. Smart visits with them every summer because he plays in that region's pro-am thing uh, prior to the PGA Tour Champions event there at, a, uh, I think it's Greystone Country Club in Birmingham, he always does the radio interview prior to kind of playing in the golf tournament there. And the subject of kind of national recruiting and, and players, the caliber of Ryle, although Ryle wasn't mentioned by name, you know, kind of going out to Arizona and getting a quarterback when you need to and things like that. You know, Kirby Smart, I think, rightly points out in this interview that this job doesn't get any easier for players like this simply because Georgia's won the last, the, the last two national championships. So in light of what might be going on with Dylan Riola, what Smart set up at the program's recruiting efforts the other day I think is worth repeating once again. Here is Kirby from WJOX. How much do you really have to recruit? A lot. Really? I mean, it's competitive. I mean, it's not I'm just going to go to the school that wins the most. I, I want to go where I can be taken care of NIL. I, yeah. I want to go places. It, 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 I mean, you've got to search the country for the best players. So I think that Kirby Smart's words there should be taken very, very seriously. It's competitive. It's very competitive for a guy like Riola. USC really wanted him bad. Nebraska, who's got a big new uh, head coach and kind of a shiny new NIL fund, they wanted Riola bad. But it seems like right now, hey, not in the barn, of course, but it seems like right now, Georgia is poised to win this recruiting battle. So if and when Georgia does it, it's the kind of thing that Georgia ought to be given a lot of credit for. And specifically, a guy that I think we're going to hear being very instrumental in all of this is the brand new Georgia offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo. This is a guy who have, has had a lot of questions asked about him of how good of a fit is he right now in his second go around as UGOC. How much can he do to maintain the great success that Todd Monkham is having over the course of the last couple of years? Well, if the Riola recruitment stands as your evidence, it could be that Bobo isn't just maintaining what Todd Munkin was doing. It could be that he's ready to take it to a new level. Winning with a caliber of recruit that Georgia just wasn't winning with the quarterback position while Todd Munkin was offensive coordinator. That's the kind of thing that Mike Bobo ought to get some credit for. Now, I realize if you're a Georgia fan, you're ready for this to be kind of over and done. You're ready for this to be official. But pay attention to all of the evidence here. What Jeff said about Riola coming in for the unofficial visit. What Dan Orlovsky says. What, what, what Riola's family is willing to do in kind of interacting with the Orlovsky tweet. They're pretty comfortable right now having it be out there that they are very, very interested in Georgia. Will they follow that up soon with a commitment announcement that makes it kind of all sort of nicely tied up and wrapped up and over and done with? It seems like there's a chance that might be the case. If you're a Georgia fan, my advice to you over the course of the next few days, pay very close attention. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella, window and door of Georgia. Happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, we start at 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, so many different uh, ways for you to catch up with us there. We're just glad you sort of pick one of those and do that. Same thing for our radio audience there on 960 The Ref every single day at noon. We love being on the radio in the Classic City and then as a podcast wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com. Some of you listen directly on SoundCloud. A lot of different ways for folks to check out our show. We're just glad you picked one of them and use it. We're so thankful to have you as a part of what we do. And for all of the moms in our audience who celebrated yesterday, we continue that celebration and extend our uh, just thanks to all of you for being such great moms. Those, my mom and my, the mom to my kids, but also just good moms benefit our society overall for a million different reasons so thanks to all the great moms out there and by the way if you wanted to do something sort of post mother's day that'd be really nice for the mom in your life beat your wife whoever else how about some great windows and doors that's the kind of thing that moms always love they love their home looking better on the outside they love it when it feels better on the inside and that's the kind of thing that palo window and door of georgia is all about energy efficient windows and doors really the recognized leader when it comes to this particular product you know survey after survey in the atlanta area year after year have kind of 
indicated that, that when folks say, okay, if you want the best, what is the best? Well, the brand that's viewed to be the best is Palo Window and Door of Georgia. That's why we say Palo Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. It's not just a slogan, although it is a good slogan. It is really reality in terms of how people see uh, you know, these great windows, these great doors. Now you may say, well, BA, I'm not an expert on windows and doors. So, uh, how am I supposed to learn this for myself? You can actually stop by and see them, what they call their experience center there in Duluth. I've actually been there. It's a really nice place. It's a really amazing warehouse facility, but it's also the kind of thing where they have a showroom and you, you want to touch the doors. You want to feel what makes it superior. You can, I like to hold things in my hands. I like to touch it. I like to feel it. And those windows, the the just the substantial nature of them, the doors, the hearty feel to them. This is one of those things that you can see for yourself. You can feel for yourself when you stop by and see them there at the Experience Center in Duluth. Now, for some of you, you want to kind of do your thing online or have kind of a, uh, I guess, less intimate conversation before you do anything face-to-face. You can take care of that there, too. Give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. 1429. Also find them online, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Once again, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. And don't forget, great savings. A few more days to take advantage of this. Uh, between now and May 22nd, you can get 10% off your entire project or 0% APR for 24 months. Now, it'll be interesting to see. Does Dylan Riola commit to George before this offer from Pella expires? That'll be interesting to see. It'll be an interesting, uh, interesting uh, uh, thing to measure and judge. But the point is, great savings, great opportunity with our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. But when you reach out to them, make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said that they would take good care of you because I know they truly will. Pella Window and Door of Georgia, they bring the show to us today, and they are viewed to be the best. All right, we're going to get John Stinchcomb coming up in a moment. Great conversation with him. I'll talk to John about the uh, Riola thing here for a little bit. Obviously, John's not a recruiting analyst or anything like that, but certainly if anybody's going to be excited about having great quarterbacks at a place like UGA, uh, John Stinchcomb certainly an example of that. So we'll have that conversation coming up. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And I mentioned earlier that Kirby Smart was on WJOX, sports radio station in Birmingham last week. Another one of the topics that kind of came up during that interview, and I'll put a link to the full interview because I think it's worth your time to hear it. Uh, A moment ago, I played a short clip of Kirby talking about recruiting. Kirby actually had a much longer sort of thing to say about that, kind of comparing in-state versus out-of-state recruiting. That's a topic we end up addressing a good bit around here. And I told you the other day, kind of like Canadian Football League stuff where there's (laughs) – there's a rule that you have to have so many Canadians on a Canadian football league team because obviously if teams had their way they just have nothing but Americans and you know the Canadian football league wouldn't feel quite so Canadian well I'm sort of the same sort of thing unofficially about Georgia hey listen I like getting the national player from here and the national player from there go to Arizona go to Nevada go to California go get the best players but I need some Georgia boys on my team too. I need some guys to sort of know what makes Georgia, Georgia. There's a certain percentage of those you sort of feel like we always sort of have to have. And Kirby talked more about at least an idea related to that on the uh, WJOX uh, morning show with Greg McElroy and Cole Kublik the other day. So I'll put a link to that. You can hear the full interview because I think it's worth your time to do so. But kind of along those lines is that, you know, it's those players that sort of understand what makes Georgia, Georgia that helps establish the culture around Georgia. And we live in a time right now in college football where there's more roster change than ever. And there are some teams who've sort of made transfer portal recruiting, going out and getting players who once played for other places. They've made the bedrock of their talent acquisition process, that the number one way they're looking to fill their roster right now is seemingly through the transfer portal. Lane Kevin and Ole Miss makes no apologies about this. We're seeing teams like Auburn and Florida try to be very aggressive in the transfer portal here during this offseason. And by contrast, Georgia's just not quite like that. Now, they have taken three transfers for this season, and we think all three of those have a chance to be you know, pretty impactful in their own right. But in terms of the overall transfer portal philosophy, we've heard Kirby Smart address this a number of times. The most recent example of that came on this WJOX uh, radio interview the other day. So here is Kirby kind of talking about how you know they manage the portal, both in terms of Georgia's willingness to take players, but unwillingness to make the entire roster be about who's portaling in and who's portaling out. I think this is another example of kind of what makes Kirby Kirby. This is really good stuff. Take a listen to this. It's based on need. It's based on fit. It's based on who we knew coming out. We're not just uh, 
you know, doing a shotgun approach where we just spray it out there and say, who, you know, we, we, number one, we think the players we get out of high school are the, the higher quality. Then we say, okay, how can we develop them and keep them in our program? Uh, and then ultimately, if we have a spot available, we want to take somebody that we knew something about beforehand. We had them on official visit. We had them work out on camp. There was a common uh, bond there. They understand what they're getting into um, because it's a little different at our place. And we try to sell it that way, and sometimes that works out, and sometimes it doesn't. So let me ask you a question. Why would Kirby Smart say that a player they could take out of high school is a higher quality than a transfer player? Why, why might that be? Now, there potentially could be a lot of answers to that, but let me highlight one in particular here. Kirby has said in the past that when they recruit a player out of high school, their hope is to have a retention rate of about 70% with those players. In other words, they want more than two-thirds of the players they sign out of high school to stay with Georgia for the duration of their career, which should be three years, four years, something like that. To me, that's what makes a high school recruit of a higher quality, you know, all things being equal, of a higher quality than a player from the transfer portal where you're at the most getting one of those guys for maybe two years. Most portals are going to be kind of a rental player you know, one year type situation that the impact you can make in your program recruiting a player out of high school is just far greater, far larger, because those should be three, four year type situations. And those become players who become part of the fabric of your program that help contribute to your culture. And so your culture is always going to be more enhanced by high school recruiting than it's going to be by transfer portal recruiting. And I believe that's what Kirby Smart certainly could have meant by that. And maybe even that's what he did mean by that, just based on the statements that he's made in the past. But as Kirby kind of pointed out, that doesn't mean that Georgia won't be willing to take a transfer portal player when it kind of fits the overall needs of the program. The way that I think about this is, and maybe this is a corny analogy, but I'm kind of a corny person, so it would be appropriate if it was. Um, Think about this, is that Georgia doesn't want the transfer portal players to be the main course. Georgia wants the transfer portal players to be the seasoning to the main course. That that you know the 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 main talent acquisition opportunity for Georgia is you know what it gets coming out of high school. That's the fabric of the program. But if you can season that, if you can spice that up by going out and getting a couple of wide receivers who led their teams in receptions a year ago, or a former elite recruit like Dion Bowie, who Georgia had interested in was interested in when he was himself in high school that becomes the kind of seasoning and spice that can kind of add more pizzazz to the overall meal that Georgia's trying to serve up and I would say that works out pretty well because what Georgia ultimately wants is a large number of long-term players that help establish and maintain a culture that's clearly working for Georgia and when it goes out and seeks a player from the transfer portal it not only wants a talent and a position of need but someone who's willing to kind of come in and buy into the culture that was established before those players got there In other words, if you've got too many transfer players on your roster, then all of a sudden you run the risk of reaching a tipping point where too many guys from other places have kind of made your culture unrecognizable because all these guys have no connection to what you had prior to them arriving here. We think that may have happened to Alabama this past season. But at Georgia, the culture is preserved by having a large number of players who've been here for multiple years and a small number of players who bring some talent from another place who want to step in and fit in well with what Georgia's already doing. Now, the perfect example of that may be Dominic Lovett. I thought Mike Griffith had a good story, dognation.com, this morning, citing an interview that Lovett had done with the Players' Lounge. The Players' Lounge is one of those NIL-type things that's out there. They also do some media opportunities with some of these Georgia players. I believe this is the first time we've heard from Dominic Lovett in any fashion. I don't have the audio for you on this, but I do have a quote from Mike's story from having watched the video with Love, and I'll put a link to all this when we post the show a little bit later on there as well. But this, to me, is the embodiment of what Kirby Smart says, where, hey, we're going to be judicious. Now we use the transfer portal, and we go out and bring a player in for the portal. We don't just want him to be a talented player. We don't just want him to be a good fit for us. We also want this to be uh, a, a guy that understands what the Georgia culture is all about. Let me show you this quote from Dominic Lovett that I think is the perfect example of this, where uh, Dominic says with the Players' Lounge, I've never been a part of something like this. It's really amazing how we connect on and off the field. If you actually know your brothers next to you and why you're doing this, why you came here, why you're staying out there, you're just pushing and pushing. I feel like it's different, Dominic Lovett says. You can read more of that at dognation.com. And, of course, there's an interview with the players. Lounge. You can watch the entire thing if you want to do that. That, to me, is what Kirby Smart wants from a transfer player. It's someone who understands that this isn't just a pathway for me to go to the NFL, although in Lovett's case, I'm sure it certainly could be. 
But this is also a place in which, hey, players grow to know each other. There's a connection piece here that's really, really important. And you're asked to make a sacrifice for your brothers, they call themselves. You're asked to make a sacrifice for your brothers out there in the football field. And it actually feels good to do that. It feels good to contribute to a cause that's larger than yourself. At least if you're going to be comfortable in a place like Georgia, you have to believe that. And it seems like someone like Dominic Lovett does. So what Kirby Smart says about the transfer portal in the interview with WJOX of the day, that's not lip service. That's not just uh you know fancy words it's actually embodied by the kinds of transfers that georgia seemingly has brought in including dominic lovett who had some great things to say with the players lounge the other day and you read more about that in my story there at dognation.com we will make that around the doghouse for you here today now before we are done we're gonna look at a couple of different things first of all speaking of transfers while the situation at georgia seems to be going very well from a transfer standpoint adding a small number of players to go along with what's already a talented roster there are other programs, hint, hint, lousy, stinking Gators, where things don't seem to be going quite so well. We'll give you the facts on this, let you judge for yourself on that before we are all set and done today. Also, a very funny golden shoe related to a topic that in some form or fashion was kind of a big one here this weekend. College football fans, Georgia fans included, don't need a whole lot of uh, reason. want to go back and forth time to time. There was a sort of a weird issue that kind of got Georgia fans and uh, one of its uh, hated rival fan base is kind of going back and forth, so we'll share that with you before we're all said, said and done there today as well. But for now, on everything, including some of the Riola stuff we were just talking about a moment ago, let's get ready to bring on the former UJL American. It's John Stinchcomb here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Happy to have John Stinchcomb on the program. And as I told our audience before, you know, John doesn't make any bones about the fact that you know, he doesn't do what Jeff Sintel does for a living. He's not a recruiting analyst. But, John, you're like anybody else, a sort of a stakeholder in the Georgia program here. And I think it's certainly exciting to see the recent momentum that seems to be building for Georgia, possibly adding nation's number one recruit, five-star quarterback, Dylan Riola. And I guess let me start with this. The Riola stuff right now seems to be very different in a lot of recruiting situations and the fact that they don't seem to be cultivating a lot of drama. You know, they're obviously not, you know, as of yet, officially announcing the commitment. I guess that could come any point in time here. But they don't seem to be working very hard to keep it a secret that they're very interested in Georgia and that maybe all of this is certainly destined to land with Riola at Georgia, not really pushing back against the Orlovsky tweet, seemingly okay that it is even out there. What do you make as someone who's kind of like me, just sort of observes recruiting, doesn't necessarily report on recruiting, the fact that the uh, Riola clan here at the moment seems content to have it be known how interested they are in Georgia while they also kind of go through a deliberate pace about eventually announcing that they don't seem to mind folks knowing that's where all this is seemingly heading a little bit different than what we oftentimes see is it not yeah it is and I'm appreciative of it it's amazing how many times folks want to play the cloak and dagger game and and make it into more of a spectacle than it probably needs to be uh, and, and I think some of it's just to generate interest and, and feel like you're a storyline in other folks. I think the Rayolas are a prime example of this. Is They're just going through the process, and the circus that surrounds them is, is less of a focus for them. It's, you know, if, if you all want to make it into a big deal, you're welcome to, but for us, we're just trying to find the right next step and, and not really worry about, uh, you know, are, are we – disguising our intentions to, to generate enough buzz, that doesn't seem to be the concern there. I think for Georgia fans, this is an exciting development because you talk about some talent, and um, having not brought in a quarterback this past cycle, it's a great opportunity to kind of continue that legacy of uh, what's being created in Athens. And I think, you know, as we led into the draft, uh, you and I talked about, well, if Stetson gets drafted, will that help? And and obviously, not only did he get drafted, but it was a fourth round pick, yeah. and um, it 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 bodes well for any future quarterback that looks at Athens and says, "This, you know, although running back is a marquee position, it is a great opportunity to come in as a quarterback." I'm curious about this. It seems like recruiting is a little bit different now than it would have been years ago. Let's say that you were an elite offensive line recruit now, the way that you would have been when you originally came to Georgia. 
Would the presence of a guy like Raiola have made you more interested in UGA? It seems like, you know, these quarterbacks are sometimes what we call like Pied Pipers or they have coattails where other players want to come to Georgia because of them. How much would that have swayed you when you were a player knowing the nation's number one recruit was spending so much time around Georgia, seemingly on the verge of committing to Georgia? How much would that have given you maybe sort of a fear of missing out if you weren't kind of a part of all the uh, buzz and the energy that was happening around Georgia with a guy like that seemingly at the center of all of it? Yeah, I think it's a factor. I think it's something that you you take into the equation because we want to win. And I think what if nothing else, what's been proven is you got to have good players to begin with, and, and you, you try to pool them together. I, I know when I was being recruited, you'd see a lot of the same faces at the big games and the big schools uh, on those hot weekends, and you wanted to try to you know rally the troops and find that one destination so you could make a, a big difference. I think you look at my class in particular, and you saw that um, a lot of those names were some of the bigger names that we tried to uh, find that same place. Now, granted, it, you know, most of us wanted it to be Georgia. I think you, you look at the legacies of, uh, you know, I was in the same class as Terrence Edwards and Boss yeah. Bailey and uh, my last name being Stinchcomb. Those weren't far, foreign last names sure. to the Georgia fan base. But we were certainly doing a, a good bit of recruiting for some of the other players, and that's not lost on uh, these current classes. I think you look at a guy like Rayola and you say, man, that that is a good base to start from if, if I want to be successful. And uh, I do think when you're on better teams, um, one, not only is it more challenging in practice, but two, it makes everybody feel a little better and play a little better and look a little better. And, you know, you look at the all-star teams and it's, usually guys predominantly from good teams. That doesn't mean that you know lesser teams don't have some good players, but they certainly are harder to find. Let me also ask this, because a lot of fans bring this up, where they wonder, well, all this chatter, why doesn't he just commit? Maybe you know the next couple of days or next week or so, maybe he will, but up till now he has not done that. And what I've kind of said in response to this, and this is the thing I'm kind of curious about to hear from your perspective, what I've said is, Hey, if he's taking an official visit to Georgia, we have reporting that he's about to. If he's in regular communication with recruits, we have plenty of reporting that he's doing that. If he's sort of operating as if he's a part of this Georgia class, whether he officially commits or not, I don't know that that necessarily means all that much to me because he's essentially operating as if he's a part of this Georgia class, and that's probably more important to me than the designation of committed or not. How do you feel about that, John? I mean, is this one of those things where, you know, you do want to see him, I guess, kind of pull the trigger on this? Or are you kind of like me? If As long as he's kind of doing what he's doing, whether he announces it or not, it sort of seems like it still has about the same value. Yeah, it's, it's funny. We all have these selfish intentions. And, you know, fans want to uh, give, give me that security blanket. I'd love for you to go ahead and commit. I, I, I don't want the uh, – the nebulous situation that I currently exist in of, ooh, get my hopes up that we might get, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in this cycle, but he's not fully committed. So, it you know, it's it's funny because I understand where all this is coming from. And, and for the rail is I think what it is is we're going to go through our process. And, you know, whatever noise is outside of this decision is not of our own creation. Uh, he's obviously – kind of set a calendar of events that, that he thinks his family and he, he needs to uh, figure out what's the best situation for him. And I can appreciate that. I think sometimes we, we start to try to influence folks for our own selfish interests, and that's probably not in the best interest of, of the individual. So I think he uh, he's set a course. He understands his calendar, his timeline. And we're just going to have to understand and appreciate that from the outside. And then one more on this topic, and we'll, I want to shift gears and talk about something else with you. And this may be kind of bearing the lead. This may be the most important issue of all. John, think about being a Georgia rival right now or a competitor f- with Georgia for like championships, things like that. Can you imagine how demoralizing it must be knowing that Georgia just won national championships two in a row with a former walk-on, you know, a guy that was kind of relegated to a backup role and many people thought that's all he would ever be. And yet he emerges as a historic figure in the Georgia program. And 
in the sort of immediate aftermath of that, now Georgia seems poised to land the nation's number one recruit, the five-star, the polar opposite from a perception standpoint of what Stetson Bennett once was. And this is kind of a final frontier in a lot of ways for Georgia, especially when you think about the fact that big quarterbacks like this have a tendency to bring big wide receivers with them. That if Georgia kind of already shown you the line of scrimmage recruiting, the defensive recruiting, um, if it also adds this sort of like skill position, quarterback, wide receiver type stuff to go along with that, well, then now Georgia has that veneer of being impenetrable. And I would say that uh, the arrival of a guy like Ryla to Georgia, if it does eventually happen, John, I think the only way you can describe that if you're a Georgia rival or a competitor to Georgia, that's demoralizing, isn't it? It is, and it's the way I think most teams felt um, six, seven, eight years ago looking at the Alabamas of the world going, man, they just, the rich keep getting richer. And when you've created a program like Coach Smart and, and the rest of the staff has at Georgia, um, that's what you're, you're looking at a juggernaut. You're looking at not only competing on Saturdays, but throughout the year for these players. And you know, a piece of the equation now is NIL deals. And Georgia's not lagging in that department. Facilities, they're not lagging in that department. But first and foremost is winning. It's the, still the number one recruiter. I want to be a part of a program where I can find personal success and we find success as a team. And that's what Georgia's been able to do in spades these past couple of years. And so... That's going to be an uphill challenge for every team across the country, and, and Georgia's now the cupbearer. It's the what we've been seeking after for decades, and we find ourselves in that position. And it doesn't seem like Kirby and his crew is letting loose. I mean, they are they have that death grip on uh, what they think is the formula that it's going to take to to remain at the top and. I'm a believer in it. Now, you, you talk about the culture and the identity. I, I heard a little bit of the, the show before I came on about the transfer portal. But yeah. uh, what, what sticks out to me most is that, that there is an identity. There is a culture that uh, some, a select few, are, are invited to be a part of, and it sets a, them apart from, from everything else that's going on across this country. Let me shift gears to a completely different topic for a moment. One of the things that kind of came up last week, which I think is really interesting, is the stadium renovation slated to take place in Jacksonville. Obviously, that's been the home of the Georgia-Florida game for, you know, forever and forever and forever. And I guess, John, to kind of jump to the last page here for a moment, all the chatter about this has sort of led me to believe that the future of Georgia-Florida in Jacksonville may be a little bit more alive than I kind of thought it was. I have been poised and sort of expecting to hear at any point in time uh, last year you know 2023 is going to be the last year and these two schools because there are option years available for 2024 and 2025 and i've sort of been under the assumption that with the sec changing over to the what we think might be a nine-game conference schedule they're at least doing away with divisions there's going to be a lot of different scheduling whether they stay at eight or go to nine it's going to be a completely different scheduling model once you bring in texas and oklahoma we know that for sure and all of this change was going to just sort of mean the end of the cocktail party but I guess the sense that I get based on some reporting, some of this coming from Andy Staples and the Athletics, some of this coming, you know, from from other places, including here at Dog Nation there as well, where it sort of seems like the two programs, Georgia and Florida, actually really like getting this money from Jacksonville. And Staples has even suggested that in the two years that the stadium in Jacksonville might not be available, they might go play neutral somewhere else just because it's more lucrative than trying to host a home game in one of those two years, which once again leads you to believe that, hey, maybe the Jacksonville folks, if they're willing to pony up enough, may be able to find a way to kind of keep this there. So I, I guess let, let me ask this to, to you both as a UG Athletic Board member, but also as just someone who kind of follows th- this stuff. Do you also think there's a chance that Georgia, Florida may actually live on in Jacksonville a little longer than some of us thought it was probably going to? Uh, I think it's possible. I mean, I've certainly been paying attention to what's going on there. I think what's most likely when all the dust settles is, you know, a three-year rotation of home, home, and neutral, uh, and that neutral being in Jacksonville. I think that's a a very real possibility. But, you know, there's so much still that's up in the air that it's still speculative. But I I think at one time, um, being a part of or, or, or Keeping the game in Jacksonville seemed unrealistic, and um, you see, you hear a lot of chatter from all the various camps that um, 
there might still be some viability of keeping it there. And we've talked about it before. I'm, I, I love it there. I, I, I like the idea of playing in Jacksonville. I think it creates a unique opportunity and experience for fans and players alike. And I understand the, the discussion of recruiting and, and losing out on a big game, but I think it's uh it's a unique atmosphere that is a draw and a carrot for a lot of guys in its own right. So it'll be interesting as it plays out. I think uh, most likely scenario is, is that three-year rotation, though. So oh, that's interesting. Uh, that, that's very, very interesting. So let me ask you this this way. So let's say that the facts as I laid them out are true, which is that, hey, this game actually pays them a lot of money. And that Georgia really likes getting this money. Now, we know Kirby Smart's been very clear. He does not like going to Jacksonville. He likes he, he wants the game to be in Athens every other year and is willing to tolerate going to Gainesville in order to be able to do that. So you've got a, new, you've got a two-time national championship coach who wants one thing, but what might benefit the program financially the most is something different. Do you think that Georgia should say goodbye to the additional money the Jacksonville game brings in because – it wants to make Kirby Smart happy on this, or do you think that Kirby Smart should kind of acquiesce on his wishes because of just how lucrative a potential contract like this might be? <laughs> uh, I, I don't see Kirby acquiescing very much. <laughs> I think well, once he has a, an opinion on a particular subject, I, I think it's pretty hard to move him from it. And so, understanding the, the benefits of the, the recruiting picture and landscape for him i think is uh, always front of mind uh as for the money piece i mean it, it is we're not talking small potatoes here yeah. uh but you look at the overall aggregate of what's brought in and um where georgia's at financially it's in a different place than a lot of other schools and and athletic departments across this country so i don't think that's quite the motivating factor that it could be in other places it, it's something that's a part of the equation but it's certainly uh because of the sol- solvency what's the, what's the right word there ba is the fact solvency george is so yeah. financially yeah. stable yeah. <laughs> yeah let's let's stick to words i know i mean me um, too me trust me me too trust me yeah yeah and uh it, it, it's a factor but it certainly isn't you know the, the ultimate factor i think there's other programs that would be more motivated because of where they stand financially and, and because of, you know, Georgia keeps winning and the, the dollars keep coming in. It allows you to make some decisions that aren't just solely financially based. All right, last thing for you, and my reason for asking you this is because of the various guests we've had on, of course, the last few weeks, I think you're about the only one who I think has expressed this opinion. And it kind of ties back to something we talked about a good bit last week, which is my belief that Carson Beck – in all but sort of title has sort of a, you know basically unofficially established himself as the Georgia starting quarterback whether he's been officially named that or not and I had some pushback online about this that there were some people who still believe the quarterback competition was a little more open than maybe I was giving it credit for being and I remember if you want to go back to G-Day you said yourself that you thought that no that Brock Vandergriff was still alive with a chance to eventually to, to potentially I should say potentially be the Georgia starting quarterback and so I wanted to circle back on that right now is that still your belief that if if I were to say ah Beck's basically sewn this up and now it's about preparing him for this that you would say that I'm wrong that you do still believe whether it be during the summer or in the early portion of the season that Vandegrift is still alive enough in this competition that it's actually him and not Beck who could be the starting quarterback by season's end yeah, I think if there were that much separation, right? I mean, obviously Carson had a great spring camp, and what we saw in G-Day was confirming of the talent and the development of his skills uh, during his time here in Athens, uh, which is all – those are all great signs. But I think if Vandergriff was looking at this scenario and the coaches are looking at where we stand right now and there's this huge gap, then – I think we would have seen more action in the transfer portal. I think that's probably where my attention goes. Do I think Carson Beck ultimately will end up being the starting quarterback? Yes, probably so. But I don't think it's sewn up and 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 written in stone. And it's his now. It's it's he's the front runner. He's the lead horse. But 
I do think if Georgia's proven anything in, in years past, and Stetson's a prime example of it in the quarterback room, that it is a uh, an open competition in that you have to perform if you're the guy. And if you don't, we've got somebody uh, that you feel pretty good about. And, and quite honestly, it's probably – a closer discussion than what we had when um, it was JT Daniels and, and Stetson was number four going into camp. So I think it's probably a lot closer than, than what it has been in years past. And it's due to the high quality of, of all three of the quarterbacks that are competing right now. And I, you know, it's one of those that you have to perform on a, on a regular basis. It's not what, what you did and, now we're just going to have to make you work. It's We're going to develop as many guys as we can, and we're going to put the, the best 11 out there, which is an old adage, doesn't always hold true. Uh, and I think for Georgia, they've proven that they're willing to look at you know that depth chart and, and make some changes um, if guys are performing, outperforming their backup role. John, it is a fun conversation. I always love having discussions like that with you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Hope everybody in your life had a happy Mother's Day yesterday, and certainly uh, just uh, look forward to having many more fun conversations within the weeks to come, and you're getting ready to settle in and enjoy yourself a nice little summer here, too, before fall eventually arrives. Thanks for being with us here today on Dog Nation Daily. Appreciate it, B.A. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And like I said, I, some of that had kind of come up on social media here a little bit based on what we said last week. And, uh, I mean, my opinion sort of is what it is on that. And I think one of the things that maybe some people kind of misunderstand is is I did not go into spring practice expecting to be as convinced by Carson Beck as I was. If anything, I've tried to be honest on a couple of our shows I may have had a little bit of a bias against Beck a little bit. Now, I try to give everybody who plays for Georgia certainly a fair shake, and as a Georgia fan, I want them all to succeed. But, you know, I have to say there are a couple of things where I just wasn't quite so sure uh, what Georgia was going to have in Carson Beck. I still think there are some people who think the task of replacing Stetson Bennett is easier than it actually is, and I think that's one of those things that has to be addressed at some point this year, no matter who the Georgia starting quarterback emerges. But I didn't I didn't go into spring saying, oh, you know, this is going to be a coronation for uh for Beck I mean I think at one point in time we even talked about hey use the September games let Gunner start a game let Brock start a game let Carson start a game not only does that make Tennessee Martin more interesting if it's a sort of a showcase of a different quarterback but it's a good way to have things figured out prior to the games that really matter later on this season that's the chatter we were talking about in like early winter like post-national championship pre-spring practice those were some of the things that we were kind of saying around here but yet I mean, I think based on what you saw on G-Day, based on what you've kind of heard, whisper, whatever, I think the back was pretty convincing. And I think he has to be sort of treated that way. Now, as far as why didn't Vandegrift transfer, John's saying something interesting there of, well, if, you know, Vandegrift really believed he was out of it, maybe he would transfer. I'm not quite so sure that's the case. I mean, we've seen backup quarterbacks step in and, and, and play in the SEC the last couple of years. And it's also important to note, and this is one of those things that maybe sort of hangs over the head of this conversation a bit, but, you know, there was a February 1st deadline in order to transfer within the SEC. So the other thing for a, a guy like Vandergriff might be, you know, kind of prior to his graduation, which we believe is coming pretty soon, prior to his graduation and prior to being kind of a graduate transfer type guy, you know, his move, movement within the SEC was going to be more restricted because of when it happened. So maybe maybe if Vandergriff does choose to transfer sometime in the future, it's actually within the SEC when that window is available to him or maybe he never transfers and sort of waits his turn i will say this to kind of go back to where we started the show today and eventually we'll get to our sec through and i'm sure we'll do more on this at some point in time especially if it becomes relevant because of a riola commitment even with dylan riola on the georgia roster maybe next season i don't think any less of brock vandegrift and i don't think any less of gunner stockton i truly do not i think that riola is the nation's number one recruit and i think he is that for good reason and if he lives up to his recruiting moniker, well, then obviously he'll just sort of roller skate his way into the Georgia starting quarterback job. That's just a fact. But Gunnar Stockton was a, a very good prospect in his own right. Brock Vandergriff was a very good prospect in his own right. I do believe that Georgia will stage a legitimate competition again next season, much the same way it is right now here there as well. And so while we're going to talk about Riola and 
some people will probably say we hype him up. Uh, even if that is the case, we will be no less interested in either Vandergriff or Gunnar Stockton in any kind of future Georgia quarterback conversation as well. We still believe in both those guys, even if uh, Dylan Riola eventually joins up at UGA. Now, all of that said, let's get ready to go cruiser in the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. There's nothing I'd love more than for Mr. Riola to sort of seal all this up and make his pledge to Georgia prior to a little Royal Caribbean cruise vacation that I've got with my family coming up a little, a little bit later on this summer. I would love that like nothing more. Of course, I just wanted it to happen, period. But happening sooner rather than later would certainly benefit some of my summer vacation plans. And speaking of summer vacation plans, so many of you have your opportunity to do that right now there as well. There's still some opportunities to get involved, whether you want one of those seven-night Oasis class sailings or a three- or four-night uh, sailing on like Mariners of the Seas, Independence of the Seas. They go out of Port Canaveral, short drive from where we are here there's all kinds of cruise itineraries that suit you as i've told you before my cruise searches always start with perfect day coco k that's always the place we begin with on something like that but whichever royal caribbean cruise itinerary you think would be great for you i'm sure it probably will be including think about late summer going to alaska places like that really really fun to be doing all that right now great travel agent like jessica slater makes your cruise search even better and more enjoyable so give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 get booked up on a great royal caribbean cruise here for this summer late 2023 or think about icon of the seas debuting january of 2024 and now that the music has ended we'll start cruiser on the sec courtesy of royal caribbean but i'll make this somewhat quick uh i don't have to you know we don't have to do a ton on this today but uh i want to talk about something i meant to talk about on friday interesting piece tom for nelly cbssports.com i like power rankings I like any kind of list that gets us debating and talking we are in talking season all this stuff is kind of good so he's got his power rankings for quarterbacks the upcoming year and if you kind of quickly scroll through his piece there uh, at cbssports.com what you see is Caleb Williams 1, Drake May 2, Quinn Ewers 3, Michael Penix 4, Sam Martin 5, Bo Nix 6, J.J. McCarthy 7, Jordan Travis, Florida State 8, Michael Pratt uh, 9, Jaden Daniels 10. So the point is, of the top 10, he even has some honorable mentions, Dylan Gabriel, K.J. Jefferson, Joe Milton, uh, Curtis Rourke from Ohio, who I actually don't even know, and Kate Klubnick from Clemson. So, But of the top 10 that, that Fornelli gives you in his power ratings, only one SEC quarterback right now. So what this tells you is there's a little bit of a transition year for SEC quarterbacks. Maybe, in other words, a good time for Georgia to also be making a quarterback transition if so many other of the league's programs are making transitions at quarterbacks. And it's kind of funny, he's got Daniels on here listed as the lone SEC quarterback, but as I've said before and you've probably heard me say before i'm not even quite so sure when everybody's fully healthy if Jaden daniels is even the best quarterback on his own roster and if the backup there garrett nussmeyer who also did not transfer this offseason i'm not quite so sure that nussmeyer isn't the better of the two quarterbacks or at least good enough that he ought to have some sort of role here this year i typically am not in favor of a two quarterback system but Jaden daniels who does have a prodigious skill set he's clearly very good with his legs uh, and someone like Nussmeyer, who we saw in the second half of the SEC championship game, can really spin it, that these two quarterbacks who both have kind of an elite trait, maybe you find a way to combine them and get something out of both of them here this year, might make sense to do that. The other thing that you can't help but notice about this list, you've got guys like Michael Pratt and Bo Nix and Drake May, a lot of quarterbacks who at one point in time people thought might transfer who didn't. That's really the story of this past offseason is the quarterbacks that could transfer that didn't. You know, Drake May could have made any team that he went to, boom, an immediate national championship contender, but he stayed at USC. Michael Pratt, a lot of folks thought he was going to Florida, stayed there too late. A lot of quarterbacks, you don't even see a guy like Grace McCall on here, but he also stayed at Coastal Carolina. A lot of quarterbacks that, that could have transferred just didn't. And a lot of teams like Alabama had to settle for, instead of a guy like Sam Hartman, who's on this list, one of the 10 best quarterbacks, they settled for uh, what Tyler Buckner, who may have been not just the backup at Notre Dame to Hartman, he may have been third string had he stayed there. So it's the story of who didn't transfer here that really, really matters. And then I'll give you one more thing about this list that jumps out to me. The game right now that everybody ought to have circled, the most interesting game to probably take place within the first three to four weeks of this college football season is going to be week two when texas goes on the road to alabama and the guy that fornelli has as his what third best quarterback quinn ewers i'm not quite so sure that isn't the the basement for how low ewers can be this year 
and that as he plays, he's at least third best, if not climbing higher than that before the season's done. If you care about Heisman futures odds and things like that, I'd say right now, viewers who have seen around 20 to 1, that may be the best price you see on that moving forward. Quinn Ewers won the Texas starting quarterback job seemingly with ease. And it's not just Arch Manning, who may also only be about third string there right now. Think about a guy like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the other guy, blanking at Bleak, whatever. Uh, that's a guy that seemingly had a pretty good spring there for them, so much so that he was apparently getting overtures from other places, but it was never in doubt that um, Quinn Ewers was going to be the starter. You know, there's a chance that Ewers is just really very good. He'll certainly be getting, we would believe, a lot of NFL draft attention a year from now. And going on the road to Alabama with almost certainly the better quarterback. Now, the Longhorns are still going to be a pretty big underdog at Alabama that particular day, probably more than a touchdown, but probably not double-digit points either. And Alabama lately has had a habit of when it wins games, it wins close. And it's actually lost a lot more games recently than we're used to seeing the Tide lose. And they could have lost to Texas this past season everything about college football feels very different very quickly if Alabama who we already have some concerns about they're taking transfer players right now from Louisiana Lafayette and places like that um and safety from UAB you know everything about Alabama feels very very different if they lose week two to Texas by the way it also kind of changes the fortunes for Texas potentially as well but Quinn Ewers is a quarterback worth paying attention to right now and Alabama-Texas, week two, is a game worth getting very intrigued by here very early in the season, too. You can't help but notice that. A couple other stories here real quick. I saw where ESPN kind of profiles Hugh Freeze. You know, obviously, this is all an attempt to kind of rehabilitate what is a very tarnished image on the part of Freeze. You can't say anything that hasn't already been said about his time there at Ole Miss, both in terms of sort of traditional football stuff, the recruiting violations, the non-traditional stuff involving phone calls to escorts and things like that. Clearly, it was not good for a freeze. He even dealt with some stuff uh, there while he was at Liberty, but clearly it's the stuff at Ole Miss that probably matters to me more than whatever people want to say about his time there at Liberty. I, you know, just whatever on, on that. So this is the attempt to do all of that. Obviously, we know whether it should be or shouldn't be. What is true is, is that winning has a way of kind of making everything sort of look different, feel different. And I've said this, and I'll say it again. I think Hugh Freeze is actually positioned to win a little bit more at Auburn than maybe people initially realized his early days here as Auburn coach pretty effective usage of the transfer portal I think pretty effective usage out of high school recruiting this is a guy who's won games as a head coach before I think Auburn's made itself a pretty good hire now it could take a long time for that to be noticed by Georgia because the gap between Georgia and Auburn is pretty wide would it take quite as long for other SEC teams to regret the fact that Auburn made this hire I don't think so especially after next year when we kind of make the transition where one way or another Auburn's not going to get stuck playing the entirety of the SEC West each and every year they're one of the teams even with playing Georgia and Alabama still uh likely every season which they you know very well likely could still be doing even with that they're still going to have more rotational games against easier competition more opportunities for Hugh Freeze to sort of compare himself to a Josh Heupel or a Billy Napier or a Shane Beamer or whoever 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 that there is a chance here that uh, Hugh Freeze not only is going to help resurrect Auburn to certainly prior to where it was before um, Brian Harson took over, but coming in at the right time where the Auburn schedule also has a chance to get a little easier there too. I think the Freeze tenure here at Auburn's worth watching. Uh, obviously, the piece there at ESPN.com, a step in the process here of making more people feel okay about the hire. But honestly, you know, the fact that he's recruiting has already made some Auburn fans kind of come around to him a little bit in a way they weren't prior to then. If he wins a few games here this fall, uh, pretty much everybody down there in the plane is going to be on board with that. Uh, I'll also make mention here of the fact that I saw where um, Florida brought in a transfer offensive lineman, a guy who had been at FIU, was going to go to South Florida, and now he's coming to Florida instead. This is an experienced player. You know, listen, we saw, well, speaking of Auburn, we saw them take an offensive lineman from Tulsa the other day that as we've said now many times that's just what the portal situation looks like right now when it comes to offensive line uh the the place where the portal has probably been the weakest and the softest has been when it comes to offensive linemen their programs have needed them and they just haven't been there georgia not really needing to go to the portal for an offensive lineman right now in other words is an incredibly valuable thing but if you want to know where florida is as a program right now it's stealing transfers from fiu away from south florida be very careful about that especially when it comes to the offensive line for all the attention, what's not happening at quarterback is getting at Florida, potentially 
transitioning from a guy like Anthony Richardson, who had a great skill set, even if not always great in games, to a guy like Graham Mertz, who no one's going to call great in any way, shape, or form. For all the attention that topic is getting, pay attention to the offensive line situation in Florida. It is weak, and I don't know that transfers from FIU are helping it get any better, and that is Cruz around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And as we wrap up here today, one of the other topics that got some attention during the weekend is who was graduating and who wasn't graduating and who was graduating from where. Uh, well, an example of that is the fact that uh, Jalen Hurts, the former Oklahoma quarterback, which we always like to call him, uh, got his graduate degree. And by the way, our penchant for wanting to call him a former Sooner uh, would seem to be bolstered by the fact, as Pete, Will- or I should say, as John Paul Williams points out, John Paul Williams points out uh, that Jalen earns his master's degree not from Alabama but from Oklahoma. Oklahoma putting on social media. Congratulations to Jalen Hurts on completing his master's degree from OU. They call him a Sooner for lie. He's got O-U-D-N-A in him, they say. Tough look for Alabama here. Hard to call him one of your own when he's getting master's degrees from Norman there. John Paul Williams points that I think that's right. So they can say what they want to about whatever degree Stetson Minute didn't get. But look where Jalen Hurts is going for his master's degree. You can't help but notice that. We'll give John a golden shoe. And by the way, lousy, stinking Gators. Speaking of them, 166 days from now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you back here again tomorrow.